You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another Locked On NFL crossover podcast. We've got 49ers Seahawks in week two. This is a battle for first place in the NFC West. No matter what happens for the Seahawks, they'll be in first place after this weekend in the NFC West. Will they be tied with the 49ers or will they be all alone at 2 and 0? Uh, thanks everybody for making Locked On 49ers and Locked On Seahawks your first listens right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Brian Peacock and Eric Crocker here of Locked On 49ers. And as the home team, we are hosting Corbin Smith at Corbin Smith NFL, the host of Locked On Seahawks. This is going to be such a fantastic contest here in week two. Really find out a lot more about these teams in week number two. I do want to let everybody know that this crossover Thursday episode is presented by our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is so much fun and it's easy to play. No competing with other players, just you versus the Prize Pick projections that are available two to five players you pick two to five players if they score more or less than their prize pick projections you went up to 10 times your money on that entry uh, it can literally take less than 60 seconds to enter it's that easy we love prize picks and we know you will too it is super fun and easy first time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match as well up to 100 with promo code locked on that's prizepicks.com promo code Locked on. Okay, guys, let's get into the big storylines here going into week two, and I'm going to kick it to you, Corbin. What's going on with these Seahawks? We saw that that primetime win, the Monday nighter, with the Seahawks upsetting the Broncos, booing Russell Wilson before beating Russell Wilson in that 17-16 matchup. Uh, what is the big storyline here with the Seahawks coming into week two? What got into Geno Smith? That's what the storyline is. Now, Seattle didn't score any points in the second half on Monday night, but I don't think it was really Geno Smith's fault. DK Metcalf had a fumble around midfield that was a promising drive. They had a couple penalties that were questionable, holding penalties. They called back big runs for Rashad Penny, and that really set the offense back more than anything. But in the first half, Geno came out. You want to talk about Russ cooking. Geno was a five-star chef, 13 for 13 to start the game. And he was not completing dink and dunk throws either. He was making some throws 15, 20 yards downfield under heavy duress. He looked like Russell Wilson out there getting away from pass rushers and finding his way up the pocket and making some really difficult throws off platform. Went 17 for 18 in the first half, 94% completion rate in complete command of the offense. So the real question is, can Geno build off of that? What What's the encore for him going up against a 49ers defense that has obviously Nick Bosa and a lot of talent that can get after the quarterback? Is Geno Smith going to have the time with the two rookie tackles playing to be able to do what he did against the Broncos this past week? And if he can, then the Seahawks might be that surprise team that everybody was writing off a bit too early in the NFC West. I tried to tell people not to write off the Seahawks too early with Geno Smith or not. And uh, I can't wait to see what that looks like in week number two, because there is some weirdness to week number one. And um, yeah. I think a lot of times you can throw out week one in NFL seasons and really find out what I mean, at both one seeds in the NFL in the AFC and the NF and NFC last year lost their week ones by a lot. Uh, and so that I, I it doesn't dictate what happens 
throughout the NFL season. So I'm really interested to see how both these teams respond here in week two. Obviously, the big win for the Seahawks, uh, big loss for the 49ers in Chicago, but it might even sprinkle a little bit, but it's not going to be a monsoon in Santa Clara like it was in Chicago. Croc, what do you think is the biggest storyline for the 49ers coming into this one against the Seahawks? I think it has to be Trey Lance, and that's what I'm seeing all over the national media my brother's just in there right now watching nfl network and he's like you know he comes and he's like hey croc they said if trey lance loses to the seahawks they're gonna go to jimmy garoppolo right so you know those talks and those conversations have already started up but you know just seeing how he plays for an entire game there are some things that kind of came out and you see you know how he played through the first three quarters as opposed to the fourth quarter when the monsoon happened where he was rated by pff through three quarters if the game would have ended there, which obviously it didn't, but if it would have ended at the end of the third quarter, he would have been a top 10 quarterback as far as PFF rating. But then the fourth quarter happens, the monsoon happens, and there's a drastic drop-off. So, uh, one, can the weather stay good? That might be a big storyline, at least for Trey Lance. And then, again, how does he play, and can he play well for an entire four quarters? Right, and can the, can the 49ers not put – that on the young quarterback to have to make a fourth quarter comeback because the run game, I think, let the 49ers down through three quarters. Uh, the defense started out really hot. The Bears couldn't do anything in the first half of the game, and then they gave up all these big plays to the Bears in the third quarter. Then once the monsoon really hit and it started raining hard, it was impossible to come back. And it's gonna it's always hard to come back in the NFL when you become one-dimensional. You really have to lean on just one element of your of your game, and it's even harder in the rain and so you don't want to put that on your young quarterback you want to get a lead you want to be able to run the football you want to stay in front of the sticks if you're the 49ers and not get behind and i'll have to ask trey lance to do too much but that's one of the things that i'm sure you're hearing a lot of this corbin about the 49ers coming into this game and trey lance and that he is not very good he's about to get replaced by jimmy garoppolo but if you go back and watch that game he had some absolute dimes he made some really good throws and clearly trey lance has a lot to work on it's going to be some ups and downs this year but uh, don't let anybody fool you corbin trey lance has a ton of talent and can make some big time throws and it's funny because the the seahawks are rolling out there with a veteran that might not have the ceiling the 49ers are running out there with a young player who has the ceiling, but the floor might be really low on what he looks like week to week. So I think that's, uh, you know, a, a pretty intriguing matchup of quarterbacks because they couldn't be more different in their career paths right now. And I mean, for somebody like me, I mean, I was there when Geno Smith got drafted to the New York Jets. Right. We How many the- times did you pick off Geno Smith at practice, Crock? Uh, I can think of one time off the top of my head, and it was definitely kind of a rookie mistake by him. And you could see, I mean, really it was a rookie mistake by both of us, but I just capitalized off of his mistake. But I think I was supposed to be in quarters, and I just played cover two. For I have no idea why I stayed in the flats. And he just threw it right to me, maybe thinking I was the receiver, but the receiver ran like a go route. So it was miscommunication there, and I blew an assignment but got the interception. So uh, we were definitely both wrong, and I'm pretty sure both got a talking to by the coaches. But uh, just seeing him make those type of mistakes, right, and kind of how his head was spinning a little bit as a rookie coming into the NFL and maybe the pressures of, you know, him going second round, him thinking he was supposed to go first round, the New York media, and then to see how calm and collective he looked uh, the other night, that was really exciting for me to see. So I'm, I'm cheering for him. And 49 fans are like, oh, ho, hold on. He's on the enemy. And I'm like, man, that was one of my teammates and uh, he yeah. can never be an enemy to me. So <laughs> it's exciting to see him do well. And the confidence, right? There's a team that is not going to be sleeping on Trey Lance. I guarantee it is the Seahawks because – that was the one game last year that you really saw 
what he could bring to the table. And obviously the Seahawks ended up holding off the 49ers in Santa Clara in that game. But Lance had a bomb on a busted coverage, albeit busted coverage, by Sidney Jones to Debo Samuel, made several big plays with his legs in that game. So you know that Pete Carroll's got that in the back of his mind. Like, I know what this kid is capable of doing. And so they're going to be taking this very seriously, particularly the run game aspect, because it's interesting that you mentioned it, Brian. This is kind of one of those situations where something's got to give. The 49ers didn't run the ball well the first three quarters in that game in Chicago. The Seahawks had a really hard time stopping the Broncos ground game for a large chunk of that game on Monday night. And normally they're pretty stout against the run, at least their front line. So you feel like both these teams are supposed to be better in those two aspects. And you would think with a week looking at the film that they're going to be. And so that should make it, we see these teams more in the mold that we're accustomed to seeing them with physical run games and physical defenses. Well, the 49ers actually started out hot on the ground, but then they lost Elijah Mitchell. And now is when yeah. things got a little weird. And I believe he had, I mean, in the first two quarters before he was ruled out, I mean, he had almost 50 yards rushing. So he was running strong. I think um, by the end of the game, uh, Trey Lance ended up leading the team in rushing. He had over 50 yards on the ground, but it was going well. So now the big question is who's going to be able to fill in for Elijah Mitchell? Who's going to miss some time? And that's where the 49ers can really kind of you know, hopefully not, but lack, right? Like they want to get things going in the run game. They need to get things going in the run game for the young quarterback. They like to do a lot of things off of play action. Well, if you're not really getting things going on the ground, teams aren't going to respect the play action. It's going to make it more difficult for your young quarterback. And it's going to be tighter windows instead of those big gaping windows that we saw at different times against the uh, Chicago Bears. So that's something really big to watch. Like who is the 49ers running back that comes in and does well? And if it's me, I'm probably putting Debo Samuel there. But then Seattle's like, hey, thank you, because now we don't have to deal with him on the outside. So I'm not exactly sure what the 49ers are going to do, but that is a huge question mark for them. And they got to figure that out. I think that bodes well for Seattle, though. That is a perfect segue into our key matchups in this game coming up next. What are the, the matchups that could really swing this game in week two, one way or the other, toward the 49ers or toward the Seahawks? And then, of course, we will make our predictions, or at least one of us will make our predictions and maybe save us some predictions for tomorrow's episodes here on uh, Locked on Seahawks and Locked on 49ers, respectively. But we got to let the folks know about one of our newer sponsors, Turo. Turo is the world's largest car-sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, whether whenever you want it wherever you want it from a community of local hosts uh, think of it as an airbnb for your car right you need a car go find where that car is they could even bring it to you browse a, browse a huge selection of vehicles too just about any occasion or budget across the united states canada or the united kingdom you book a spacious SUV or minivan. Maybe you want a little family road trip. You need to carry a bunch of folks somewhere. Or you can get a classic or luxury car for a special event, for a birthday. Pick somebody up and give them a treat showing up in some nice classic car. Or you just need an economy car. Find that affordable vehicle that will get you around on a budget and you just need to get from point A to point B. Or I think this is a really cool thing to do is go out and test drive that new vehicle. Really get to know a car that you might be trying to drive. You've, you've thought about maybe buying an electric vehicle, and now you have an opportunity to go drive one first and know how they react to you on the road and, and seeing if it's something that you want to fit in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms and conditions do apply 
ditch those boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. All right, fellas, let's get into some key matchups here that will really turn the tide for week two with the 49ers and the Seahawks. And uh, I think the running game is big, and I'm just going to start there with, with my biggest key, and it is that running game. And to me, it's the 49ers offensive line that was really up and down last week. And can that offensive line create space not only for the running game, but keep Trey Lance upright and allow him to go through his progressions and not speed up his process back there. Because uh, I think there were some things that the 49ers, you would, Corbin, you mentioned it, you know, the the 49ers are going to come out, especially in the rain, they can play bully ball. They're better up front than the bears. They're going to run them off the field. They're going to run the football. Their D line is going to show up and dominate. And that's it. And it started to look that way in the first quarter, early in the game. And in the third quarter, it wasn't the case anymore. So I think that's the biggest key to me in this game is that 49ers, offensive line against the Seattle Seahawks defensive line, not only because of the run game, and we don't really know if it's going to be a lot of Jeff Wilson, who's probably going to get the first crack at it, but there's Ty Davis price. that will be active this week for the first time. He was not last week. Jordan Mason's been, you know, the star of camp as a rookie undrafted free agent running back out of Georgia tech. So who's going to get those carries Uh, who can show they have a little dynamic presence with Elijah Mitchell out, but really the offensive line, is the key to that run game, and it's the key to allowing Trey Lance to be comfortable back there in his second start this year and and really make a lot more of those throws that we saw a couple of them and a couple of flashes of in week number one. Corbin, what do you think is the, uh, the key matchup here that you're looking at most for the Seahawks? Well, when the Seahawks are on defense, I think I got to go right off of your answer there. I'm really concerned about stopping that 49ers ground game, even without Elijah Mitchell. Kyle Shanahan, he's one of the Shanahans. I feel like they can just pull somebody off the street and put them in the backfield and run for 1,000 yards. It's just the way that their system functions. They're so good at creating space for the running backs to work and putting defenses in areas of conflict in terms of gaps and things like that. And the Seahawks were not very good at defending their run fits on Monday night. That was the one big thing on defense that jumped out to me that was a big negative And the Broncos, I'm surprised, did not run the ball more than they did with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. The Seahawks need better play from their linebackers overall. Jordan Brooks had 12 tackles, but he missed three. He's got to do a better job of finishing plays. And Cody Barton let blockers get onto him several times, made some big plays in the game, but he had a number of plays in the run game where he ended up getting bullied by a blocker. He's got to do a better job either getting himself in a position he isn't getting linemen on him or he's got to do a better job of disengaging blocks. If they don't do that in this game, the 49ers are going to run for 200-plus yards. They need their edge guys to also play much tougher at the point of attack. Lieutenant Nuosu was the defensive player of the week in the NFC, so he is kind of omitted from this. But Daryl Taylor, I was talking him up going into the season because of his athleticism, how great he looked in camp at preseason. Had some promising pass rushes, but he got bullied in the run game four or five times off the edge. And the Broncos early on, especially were picking on him off tackle. I expect the 49ers are going to see that in film. They're going to test him early. So he needs to bring his big boy pants for this game and be able to set the edge. If he doesn't, again, this could get out of hand quickly, especially with the 49ers being ticked off coming into this game after last week's loss to the bears. They're going to come out hungry. They're going to want to play physical football. Seattle's got to match that particularly in the run game. Croc, any key matchups you like that you're going to be paying an especially close attention to in week two with the 49ers and the Seahawks? 
I don't even know if it's between the players. I think the key matchup I'm going to be watching for is probably with penalties. And that was something that really hurt the 49ers and kind of deflated them against Chicago. And that's something that really helped the Seahawks against the Denver Broncos, right? Like Denver had uh, double-digit penalties. They turned the ball over twice on the, on the goal line. And when you play that type of undisciplined game, it hurts you. And that's what ultimately hurt – uh, Denver against Seattle and the 49ers de dealt with the same thing where you have over 100 yards and penalties and you have multiple turnovers in a game when you can't have that. So I'm going to be watching which team is more disciplined. I think that's a huge uh, battle right there. Doesn't even have to do so much with specific players, but just the teams in general. And you know that's getting preached with the 49ers because that was probably the number one reason the 49ers lost the game to the Bears. So much was talked about with the quarterbacks and the and the weather and everything like that. The penalties, that was the biggest factor in the game in Chicago last week. So you know absolutely every position coach, Kyle Shanahan, they're just ripping dudes. And, and that is a huge, huge factor this week and, and a huge uh, teaching point throughout the entire week going into week two. So I'd be shocked if there's another game like that where uh, the Niners are just getting flagged left and right. What well, was a dozen well, for a hundred yards. You know, I saw something that said the 49ers heading into week two, they're like third in defensive was it DVOA. And the only reason why they're probably not first is because on three scoring drives by Chicago, those three drives were aided by penalties where the drive was, the drive was over. Third down, they got stopped, drive is over, 49ers ball. Oh, no, there's a penalty, a face mask. There's a pass interference, whatever it was, that continued to drive, and it ultimately it led to points. So um, overall, the 49ers defense was extremely stout outside of a couple mishaps. So can they get that right and potentially be the best defense in the NFL? I think they have the makings of being that type of dom dominant defense, but you got to get out of your own way, and they just could not do that against Chicago. You know, Croc, and it wasn't just – last week either the 49ers going back to the beginning of last season are the most penalized team in the nfl i saw that today and it kind of blew my mind a little bit and that's you know something that's definitely got to get clear the coaching up and, coaching it up or allowing it to happen yeah coach up and and corbin we know that the zebras love the seahawks and always want to flag the 49ers more right so uh that, that's a big one i mean that's they're if you want to look at why coaches are going to end up in the hall of fame and coaches win a lot of football games in the nfl so many games are decided but by three points and when you can do the little things win the turnover battle and you can not get penalized more than the other team you're going to win a ton of football games and Pete's done that throughout his career yeah that's really been a major calling card for Pete Carroll all the way back to his days with the New England Patriots when he first came into the NFL I mean he had winning records there and it wasn't good enough but uh, he his teams typically do a good job avoiding penalties or if they do struggle that's something that they get cleaned up pretty quickly and so, you know, you look at that week one game against Denver. I, Seattle had a fair number of penalties called against them. But Denver, a lot of the ones they did weren't even ones you can argue, well, the refs, that's a question one. It's like false starts, you clearly did it. Or delay of games, clearly it's on zero. You hadn't snapped the ball. So a lot of those were clear discipline issues for the Broncos and dealing with the noise. Seattle's not going to have that advantage playing in Santa Clara. They're going to have to play the road team card this time around. So the penalties, that might be a bigger issue for them, having to deal with false starts of their own, especially with two rookies playing the tackle positions. I guess that's the other matchup that I have to throw out here. I mean, we're talking about the third set of rookie tackles since 1970 to start in week one in Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. And honestly, 
they looked pretty darn good in the first game. Cross gave up a couple sacks in the second half with Bradley Chubb beating him. But one of them, at least one of them, you could say Geno should have just stepped up in the pocket more than Cross got manhandled. I thought he looked pretty good. And Abraham Lucas was the better tackle of the two. Their third-round pick out of Washington State has been cleaning up in the run game. He's been playing great in pass pro pretty much since day one, but they have not faced Nick Bosa. And so that is going to be the biggest challenge that either one of those players have had to date. The 49ers got other guys they can get after the quarterback as well. And so that, to me, is the key matchup. If those rookie tackles can find a way to neutralize Bosa and the pass rushers and give Geno Smith something to work with, I think Geno's got better matchups at receiver for Metcalf and Lockett this week than he had going against Patrick Sertan last week and the Broncos. They might be able to get some of those downfield shots they didn't necessarily take in the season opener, but he's got to have time to be able to make those plays. I will say Charvarius Ward did look good when Justin Fields tried to test him deep a couple of times, and they did spend a lot of money out there. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see those corners get tested a little bit more in better weather here against some really good wide receivers. And better players. Spots. Right, exactly. Yeah, far better players. Uh, you could probably go down the depth yeah, chart. Real, real quick, what was, up with Tyler, what was up with Tyler Lockett? Because, I mean, the, just the targets, especially early on, they just were not there. And that's I, I don't I think it was the like, game oh, plan, Eric. I mean, Geno Smith told me that they were trying to get the linebackers exploited with the tight ends, and it worked extremely well. So I don't think the game plan ended up failing them at all. They knew that the rat on the Broncos' defense was their linebackers, and they took advantage of it with their tight ends. And I think that's the other big difference in this Seahawks team. And say what you want, maybe it's the Russell Wilson effect. They didn't use tight ends very well over the years half their receiving yardage this first game was from tight ends and they really like that group so it just gives the 49ers defense something else they got to think about going into this game you mentioned the rookie tackles i want to talk about some young players on the defensive side of the ball next corbin and we will make our predictions or at least get one prediction in here for the seahawks at 49ers in week two and i was looking at bet online earlier today and uh you could this line is up to nine nine and a half in some places the line at bet online is eight and a half the 49ers are favored at home eight and a half points a lot of points in this uh, for the 49ers to be uh to, to be given up for playing against a team that is undefeated right again and the 49ers haven't won a game yet this year it is week two but clearly the the vegas odds are favoring the San Francisco 49ers. And you can find those odds at betonline.net, your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports information this season. And BetOnline is not just all about wagering either. There's tons of information to help you make better wagers, league developments, game matchups. There's news, scores, tons of information at BetOnline on the week two games and throughout the year. In fact, you can find, you can bet on just about any game the entire slate of the entire NFL season. Tons of lines that have moved around a little bit after week one for Super Bowl favorites or for which coach is going to get fired. Matt Rule's not number one anymore. Now it's Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys. You want to bet on a coach losing their job. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, not just football, Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, golf, live betting, esports, and more. So get over to Bet Online today. Or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action at Bet Online, where the game starts. 
So Corbin, can you talk a little bit real quick here? Because uh, another matchup, whether or not we'll see how much Debo gets used as the wide back, but if he's on the outside along with uh, Brandon Ayuk and Juwan Jennings getting mixed in and, and Ray Ray McLeod had a nice connection with Trey Lance in week one. Um, I know there was a, there was a lot of debate about uh, a prospect like Tariq Woolen, who was a, a later round pick and a teammate, by the way. Oh, wait, was he uh, San Antonio? Yeah, right? UTSA. UTSA. Yeah, he and Burford both played Burford, together. Yeah, teammates. So teammates working in, getting starting reps uh, from UTSA. You, usually you expect that from Alabama as rookies, but not Texas San Antonio. Uh, how has the rookie looked? Is, is is there somewhere the 49ers could exploit on the back end in the passing game for young Trey Lance this week? I thought it was really interesting that Russell Wilson did not test Tariq Woolen really until the third quarter on Monday night. And in fact, he didn't really test either one of the outside corners. And I think a lot of that has to do with number six being at free safety and flying all over the field. Teams just don't go. The deep ball is not a big thing against the Seahawks. They give up big chunks of yardage in the underneath intermediate throws. But deep passes, you got to worry about Quandre Diggs and his ball hawking ability. That certainly helps the corners. But Tariq Woolen has exceeded all expectations. I thought when Seattle drafted this kid – he had the highest ceiling of any player in their draft class, but I thought it would be at least a year until he was playing any snaps on defense. And all he did is find his way into the starting lineup by the second week of training camp. And he's never looked back. He's taken on DK Metcalf at practice and he's won a lot of those battles. I mean, it's like watching two transformers on the practice field. When you see DK Metcalf and Tariq Woolen with their size and their athleticism, they both look like they were built in a lab and this kid just, he's picked up the technique stuff so much faster than I thought he was going to. So I can't wait to see what he does against the 49ers receivers because he held up very well against the Broncos. He had a couple pass interference penalties. He's got to work on not being so grabby at the point of the top of the route. He's going to get there with that. But he didn't give up any receptions on his three targets. He took away two deep balls to Cortland Sutton, was right in his hip pocket with his length and his speed. He's an, he is an easy 4-2-6. The guy doesn't even look like he's moving fast, and he runs like a gazelle. So he's been fantastic. And their other starter this last week was Mike Jackson, who's been with like three other teams before coming to Seattle, and he has been a revelation. Sidney Jones was back healthy, and they still didn't start him. They started Mike Jackson instead. And Jackson made some pretty, uh, pretty big plays in Monday night's game as well. So – I think he's earned a second start. They're feeling happy about where their corners are at right now, but this is certainly going to be a different test, different types of receivers that San Francisco is going to bring to the table. And not having Jamal Adams out there is going to be another storyline worth noting as well. I mean, so big, Croc, right? If the Niners can get George Kittle back in this game, especially with no Jamal Adams out there. You need him out there, and he didn't practice today. So we'll see kind of stay in the loop on what's going on with George Kittle. He kind of opens up things, not just in the passing game, but in the run game for the 49ers as well. And I think we've well established the 49ers, they want to run the ball and do things off of that. And you don't have George Kittle in there, it, it definitely makes a difference. And then it makes a difference on what Corbin said. He said, hey, the intermediate area, that's where you can kind of get the Seahawks. Well, who works over the middle and has really good run after catch? George Kittle. And if you don't have him in there, that's kind of missing that safety blanket for your young quarterback. So that's 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 big, having him in there for both the run game and passing game. Yeah, and if you don't have George Kittle in there and you have 
Debo playing the wide back role because the running game's not working great, then you really have nobody to exploit that catch and run stuff that the 49ers have been so well at doing in the uh, Kyle Shanahan era. It's such a huge part of their game. So, yeah, I think we saw last week George Kittle's uh, just too important to this team to, to be missing a whole bunch of games. And he thought he could have played last week, but now he's still not practicing. So we'll see. There's still some time for him to get into practice and, and get out there and play Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. All right, Corbin, I know you like to tease your – predictions for the friday episode for locked on seahawks so i'm going to do the same and i'm going to make my predictions on tomorrow's show so i'm going to leave it to you croc what do you think niners are favored by eight and a half points in this one my favorite bet is is the uh the over under is really low this week it's 41 and a half points um i think this is going to be the the classic pete carroll kyle shanahan a little bit of an old school football game compared to uh you know what we see a lot around the league what we're going to see on thursday night night probably with uh, patrick mahomes and um and uh, uh Herbert. Herbert and like just seeing those guys just freakish arms slinging the ball all over the place uh i think both teams are going to try to establish the run and and run the football a whole bunch and so i like the under for 41 and a half i'm not sure if you can make the under low enough for what this game could potentially be and of course there could be some big plays as well but i don't think either coach would worry about this being a low scoring affair and, and i think both defenses could make things difficult on opposing offenses but croc Eight and a half. The Niners are favored by a lot to have kind of laid a little bit of an egg in week one. And the Seahawks showed the world that they're not just going to fold this year. Yeah, I think eight and a half is way too much. I believe it started off at 10, went down to around nine and a half. And then now you said eight and a half. Uh, I will take the 49ers, but definitely not at that large of a gap. If I had to guess, it's going to be a tie game at the end. And Robbie Gold kicks a field goal to win. So I'm going to go 49ers 20 to 17. But I mean, come on now. I think heading into the season, Corbin talked about that. And Peacock, you mentioned it as well. Teams were thinking like, or people were thinking, ah, Seattle, ah, that's a win. Not so fast. They look like they're kind of playing well. And that's a team that probably as they kind of build this continuity is only going to get better. So you look at Pete Carroll. He always, and I mean always, has his team ready to play against the 49ers no matter who is on the field, no matter who's injured. You talked about Jamal Adams not being able to play. Don't think it matters. He's going to have his guys locked and loaded, ready to go. I'm just going to go with the home team here and take those three points that they give you at home. So that's why I'm picking the 49ers. If this was in Seattle, I'd take Seattle by three. And Corbin, you don't have to spoil your prediction, but what do you think about that line and how big it is? I think it's ridiculous after what we just watched on Monday night. I mean, I would get it going into the season, but this looks to me like a formidable team. Maybe not a playoff team, but they can run the ball. They've got some key components on defense. Even with Jamal Adams out, Josh Jones looks like he's going to be fine as a substitute. Ryan Neal can also play there. That happens to be the position they have the best depth in. They've got playmakers for Geno Smith all over the field. So you might not have one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, but you've got the weapons to make life easier on him and a running game you can lean on. So I absolutely expect that this is going to be a slugfest, punching each other back and forth, low scoring. We'll leave it at that. As far as what Seattle's got to do to win this game, though. I was going to ask you that. Well, I was going to ask you real quick, Corbin. you got to down the running game. I, it's one of those things. They had too many drives. The Broncos got past midfield every single drive on Monday night. That wow. cannot happen in this football game with the way the 49ers run the ball. There's got to be some quick possessions where – they get some punts. They get the 49ers off the field. They don't let them run the ball 35-plus times and wear down their defense. They can't let that happen. And on offense, 
They didn't need to get the ball to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett downfield in this last game. I think in this game, though, no offense to Javarius Ward. I think he's a good corner, but I don't think he's Patrick Sertan. And DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett should have opportunities to make plays downfield. But is Geno going to have time to get the football downfield to his playmakers? If the pass protection holds up enough to let Geno go to work and get his magic going a little bit to those star receivers, that gives Seattle a much better chance to win this game. Well, Corbin, I did want to ask you, as, as it pertains to Geno Smith, and this is kind of something for the 49er fans there, if you were to say Geno struggles in a certain area of the field, or is there something specific where, hey, when this happens, he doesn't play as well, what would that be? Because he looked very comfortable in all situations on Monday night. So how do you, I guess, kind of rattle him or what you've seen over the last year or so when he did have to play a few games and start last year, maybe this preseason as well and in the first game, if there is anything that makes him uncomfortable to where he can become a little erratic or maybe sped up a little bit, what would that one thing be? I would say the one thing about where Gino's at now compared to, and you know this from playing against him on the practice field, I, he now is very unflappable for the most part. Like this dude is calm, collected. He is in full command of the offense. But we did see in the second half, and this is something that I've noticed with him in preseason games the last couple of years, pass rushes that are behind him, guys that are getting upfield, turning the corner, there are times where he just kind of becomes immune to knowing that that's going on. He doesn't sense it. And he had a, a strip sack against him that luckily Charles Cross was right behind him and caught the ball. And then there was another sack that he took that he didn't seem like he was aware there was a rusher coming bearing down on him. And he didn't step up in the pocket. First half, he did a good job of avoiding those situations. So he's improved in that regard. But that would be the one area. If you're getting those upfield rushes, sometimes he isn't able to know that it's going on he doesn't have the awareness or recognition for it and he can get smacked and the football could fly out so that would be the one thing I would say but he's been able to get the ball downfield when Seattle's asked him to do it he's been able to throw the intermediates the short game he'll check down something that Russ has not always wanted to do so Seattle has been comfortable with him running the offense he's not going to give you all the big plays downfield that Russell Wilson did but he just he's just a different demeanor than he was coming into the league more Should comfortable. Be. That's that veteran. You you get the time. You yeah. get experience being a backup, having to it's play, understanding what you're seeing. Too. Pete yep. Carroll and, and has instilled confidence in this young man ever since they brought him in a few years ago, and he's been in the system now for several years. That Pete Carroll mentioned the name Rich Gannon the other day. We know Rich Gannon, beginning of his career, first like ten years was an average quarterback at best, and ended up being an MVP. I'm not saying Geno Smith's going to do that, but. <laughs> Geno Smith is an offense now that he's very comfortable running what they're asking him to do, and he's got weapons around him. So who knows? This could be one of those quarterbacks that has a second half of his career awakening because he's in the right situation. And don't forget those lessons he learned as a young quarterback taking on DBs like Eric Crocker, too. So uh, that, that can't go understated. It should be a great one on Sunday. Seahawks at 49ers. First place in the NFC West is at stake. Thank everybody for uh, making Locked On 49ers and Locked On Seahawks your first listens every single day. Make sure you check out everything else going on right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Brian Peacock, Eric, Cro uh, Eric Crocker, and Corbin Smith will be back with you tomorrow right here on the Locked On Podcast Network.